Hello again, friends, and welcome to the Young Anglicans podcast. The Young Anglicans podcast is a place for conversation and discussion about ministry to teenagers through the lens of Anglicanism. It's hosted by me, Andrew Unger, and me, Eric Overholt. We're both real-life Anglican youth pastors who want to see young people find and follow Jesus for the rest of their lives. We're glad you're with us. And today we're going to continue some of our conversation from last episode. I was going to say last week, but I don't even remember. We recorded it two weeks ago, I guess. I think it was two weeks ago, so that's okay. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Who's listening to these the moment we post them anyways? So we're starting from our last uh, conversation, and we're going to talk about Anglican youth ministry. What is Anglican youth ministry? Um, And we want to talk a little bit more about what it means to do youth ministry under a bishop where there's, you know, the episcopate involved. Um, Eric, you have, I think, more curiosity and thoughts about this than I do. Um, Maybe that makes me (laughs) not, you know, properly (laughs) deferential to my bishop because I don't think about it enough. But tell me where, where your questions are, where your thoughts are about this. Yeah, and I think it's something I mentioned last time. Uh, I don't have a I don't remember if I did, but it feels like I did. And that is, what does it mean? How do I, how do I instruct my students? How do I help them to to view themselves as a part of more than something that than just our local parish? Um, yeah, it's hard enough to get my students to think of themselves as a part of our local parish. Yeah, uh, much less to think of even more broadly. And, you know, I, I've got parents who are like, I, I don't really care about regional ministry. Like, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like, oh, what I care is local. I want to stay local. Like, what are we doing here where we live? Um, but I would love it. I, I, I would love it that if the bishop is coming for a visit or something, that it would, it would mean something to them. Not that, oh, here's this big fancy guy and he's got power. Like, not in that kind of way, but it, just in this kind of way that they understand what it means um, they they understand their connection to the bishop, our connection to the bishop together, yeah. all of those things. And I don't, it's not, I mean, other than just like sitting there and telling them, you know, oh, the bishop has the authority and the authority comes down through the priest to us and blah, blah. It's yeah. like, they're, 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 their eyes are going to just going to glaze over and <laughs> not going to care. Um, but it, it, it feels like to me, as an Anglican, and I think the reason we would talk about this from the perspective of Anglican youth ministry is that this matters. It matters to us as Anglicans that we serve under bishops and that that the the um, the borders within Anglicanism are not around our parishes. They're around our diocese. Um, yeah. Yeah. Although that's, confu- that's confusing these days in the ACNA. Yeah. To, to, to some degree, some of the difficulty is. And, you know, I was never in, I've never been in a properly geographical diocese. Um, Quincy is, is sort of half geographic, half affinity based, because we've got the sort of historic diocese of Quincy that stepped out of the Episcopal Church as a whole diocese, which is sort of the northern half of Illinois that isn't Chicago. Um, But then all these other churches are added. I mean, our church wouldn't have been in the historic boundaries of Quincy and so we, because I've never been part of a geographic diocese, this idea of diocesan youth ministry is difficult to accomplish any sort of unity because like, yeah, we have the internet. Yeah, we have ways that we can connect with each other, but 
we're embodied beings. And so trying to help my students think about belonging to something larger than their local congregation and thinking about the diocese means that they have to imagine themselves as having some sort of meaningful connection with churches that are three hours away, um, which I guess larger dioceses, that's just commonplace, right? Like there's that, uh, there's that diocese that Julie Moser told us about in uh, the Anglican Church in Canada. That's like the entire northern territories where, you know, you're 15 hours away from the closest church. So, Well, let, I'll tell you about Western Anglicans in a few minutes. Go ahead. Keep, but, keep saying what you're saying. So it, it, it's hard because in some ways, I was saying this to someone the other day, um, and this is sort of gets into what your theology and your ecclesiology is, but the, the parish is real and the diocese is abstract to some degree. The, the diocese is this formed bond that we sort of intellectually have to affirm exists, um, but we actually see the connection with the other people in our local congregation. And so trying to have them sort of emotionally commit to a thing that they don't experience ends up being in this place where you're like, feel more close to your bishop. And you're just trying to assert at them, feel a connection there. Um, so I, I just find it really hard to, to make that a priority, um, mm. to sort of spend some of my time to encourage them to, to that. Now, it, it sort of has this different kind of challenge where like, should I prioritize an Anglican church that's three hours away or a Baptist church that's down the road? Mm -hmm. Because I could do joint things with the Baptist church. I could do joint things with all kinds of other churches that we could share in the cause of Christ in Wheaton um, yeah. very easily. Um, right. And in fact, some of the differences between us and the Baptist church might be less than some of the differences between me and some of the other Anglican churches, which we'll talk about sort of the next episode when we talk about three streams. But um, that's these are all just sort of the challenges I feel in trying to think about Anglican youth ministry. Yeah, so, but that brings up the question in my mind of, I, I, I understand like that perception, the, the perception you're talking about that, that the, the parish is real, the diocese is abstract. Yeah. Um, but... But is that, like, from the way, from from reality standpoint, that may be the case. Mm -hmm. But I, but I, the question that comes to my mind is, is that the way it's supposed to be, though? And are are we operating? It seems like to me, in the Christian life in general, we we operate out of the way things are supposed to be, as opposed to the way things are. Yeah. And that's that's what I, to me that's a lot of what Jesus came to do is say no, no. This is the way things are supposed to be. And, and in that sense, this is the way they really are. It looks like they're this way, but they're really this way. And, and maybe that's taking this too far. And it's, you know, trying to put some sort of like massively spiritual thing on top of this. But I, I, I do think that there is something to me. It's it's one of the mysteries of Anglicanism. That mm -hmm. Anglicanism is really good at embracing mysteries. But yeah, it, one of those mysteries that we embrace is this idea that we all serve under a bishop and um, and we're not when when I look at the other you know Western Anglicans church that's 10 minutes away or the Western Anglicans church that's up in northern Idaho 20 hours by car away right uh, like we are connected in reality because we both serve under 
Bishop Keith. Well, and that's the interesting thing. I mean, talking about reality and sort of ideals and how things should be and how they are. It's it's interesting to say, because what I'm saying is it's easier to connect with Baptist Church down the road. Yeah, it is. Um, and you're saying, well, we should be more connected to other Anglican churches. But isn't the ideal actually, isn't the ideal of a diocese that you are in partnership with the churches in your own neighborhood? I mean, the, the ideal should actually be no non-geographic diocese. We mm-hmm. we have these affinity dioceses in the ACNA um, because we have to, I mean, to quote, to borrow a line from Jesus, because of the hardness of our hearts, because we have mm-hmm. these differences of theological opinion that we're still trying to work out in charity. But shouldn't the ideal be all of the churches in L.A. working together for the cause of Christ across denominational lines? Aren't denominations, by definition, an unfortunate consequence that is in reality, not in the ideal. Yes, yes, I would say that. But uh, I, I would again. There's, there's a mutual exclusivity that you're talking about that I don't think exists. Like I, I don't, I don't think it has sure. to be one or the other. That's, that's what I'm trying to say. And matter of fact, what I'm going to try to do, what I'm trying to do, is to embrace all of it. it yeah. It, and. and uh, and, and part of the reason why I'm doing the work I'm doing within my diocese is because I want I want to encourage other churches to do the same. Mm-hmm. Like like don't eat like we're, I'm having a hard enough time getting Anglican churches to to like come together, right? But um, or or we I should say we in Western Anglicans are having a hard enough time getting Anglican churches to come together. Yeah. Um, but if we all kind of reframed our thinking around what we have in common as, a, as opposed to what we have th- that divides us. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, anyway, no, I, I, don't, I, I don't know where, I don't know exactly how far to go with that, but, but yeah, it, and I see what you're saying too about, uh, geographic dioceses and like the ACNA is made up of a lot of non-geographic dioceses. Technically, Western Anglicans is non-geographic. It is regional. Yeah. Basically, when the ACNA was formed, they looked way out here in the West and they realized, wait a second, we've got like a few churches out there. So they just took a big vacuum cleaner yeah. <laughs> and just went all over the entire Western United States and said, whatever winds up in our vacuum bag, we'll call them Western Anglicans. Yeah. And so... We've got a clump of churches in L.A., clump of churches in San Diego, clump of churches over in Arizona, but then a scattering all up through uh, Nevada and uh, Utah and Wyoming and Idaho and Montana. And, you know, so it's uh, geographically our area is massive, even though technically we don't have geographic borders in that sense. So, yeah, and that's. It's it's hard to imagine what that looks like. Again, I, I'm the. It sounded like I'm I'm sort of dunking on diocesan youth ministry, and I'm the diocesan youth coordinator for my diocese. So, um, in, in some ways, I feel like the our goal should be it would be great for more Anglicans to get together. Um, and some of the things we've we've sort of dreamed about on the provincial level in those young Anglican gatherings has been to think about regional youth ministry connections irrespective of diocese and see if there's ways that we can build up unity between dioceses um, mm-hmm. by connecting youth ministries of different jurisdictions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a tricky part of it. Which but, is, but that's already happening in your own youth group. Oh, sure. 
You're sure, a youth group made up of three churches from three different dioceses. It's a very strange thing. Um, and again, this is that difficulty of reality and reality. Like, there's the reality on the ground, which is yeah. there are three churches near each other, none of which... Um, I mean, All Souls is probably big enough to have its own its own youth ministry, quote-unquote, but we're not so big that adding other churches is hampering or that we can't kind of include them. We constantly wrestle with how to allow each church to have their own identity and still have a sort of corporate youth group identity. But, um, you know, at least when I started, none of the churches involved could afford a full-time youth pastor. And so it was like, we're just going to combine forces. And so there's that reality. And then there's a sort of institutional reality that we're not in the same diocese. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I, I want, I think the value of the bishop, in some ways, all of this talk of reality, things are on the ground end up diluting the the unitive um, value of a bishop. Okay. Dil- and and I, I want to talk about the Episcopate in terms of unity and authority, because I think those are two different yep. important spheres. So we're, we're on this sort of unity kick here, and I think it is it would do good for my students to start to recognize institutional realities, mm-hmm. the reality that there are churches. I mean, there are lots of priests in my diocese that I connect with, um, and so we end up building relationships between these priests. And I think it would be cool if our churches did stuff together and for them to find other Christians who maybe do things a little bit differently, but we still have this Anglican unity together. It helps them understand the value of an Anglican distinctive um, because um, I think a lot of the ACNA is former evangelicals who fell in love with the Anglican way. And I think their kids need to understand why it is that their parents said, I'm not going to, to the big box church. I'm not going to the congregational church. I'm not going to the Bible church. This Anglican way matters. Um, and part of that's having a bishop that brings a bunch of churches together because we don't just have authority on our own. We we belong to this bigger project. Um, and sure, it's messy and there's overlapping jurisdictions. Um, you know, the, the world isn't perfect. But right. I think there has to be something to saying, look, we're under a bishop. Look you're part of something greater. Look, there's there's authority beyond the people in your church. Um, mm-hmm. As I see, you know, over the last few years, any number of scandals at mega churches and how they've collapsed. And oftentimes you lose, um, you lose the, the celebrity pastor because they've gone astray and the whole operation crumbles. But a lot of it ends up being a lack of accountability mm-hmm. that, that the sort of face of everything is also the person who holds all the power. Um, and being able to say, look, Father Martin here, isn't the the end of the story. He has to answer to someone. I have mm-hmm. to answer to someone. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I feel like I've told my students this story. Maybe I haven't. Um, I discovered that... Um, so we do the Chrism Mass in our diocese. And at the Chrism Mass, which is the, the typically the week of Holy Week, all the, the clergy renew their vows to the bishop. And, um, and then we all get what's called the fermentum, which is a sort of piece of host that's consecrated there that comes back and it's consumed at the Maundy Thursday service at each local congregation. The idea is, is it's sort of a symbol of unity. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I had it. And then one year I was about to get ready to go back to Chrism Mass and discovered that I had last year's fermentum had been sitting in a little pouch in my bedroom for an entire year. Um, <laughs> so at that point, like, I don't want to consume it. One, because while I believe in the real presence. I also recognize that the, there is still the reality to some bread here that's been sitting for an entire year. Um, you know, it's unleavened, but still I'm just kind of iffy yeah. about that. 
yeah, um, yeah. also there's no way that I could have taken that in any sort of reverent manner like the, the sort of comedy yeah. of the situation meant yeah. there was no way to prepare myself enough to take that so okay what do you have to do well you have to get rid of it so you have to return it to the earth so I'd like yeah. went into my backyard dug a hole yeah. and buried yeah. it in my backyard um, and the whole time you sort of feel like this is kind of ridiculous yeah but yeah. I think there's I, the reason I'd want to tell my students is like look but at the end of the day, I sign on to this project. There's a way we do things. And sometimes you do things the right way, not because it instantly makes sense to you, but because you're part of something greater, but be because you're under authority, because you function in a certain way. So if the bishop gives you an instruction, you say, okay. Mm. Um, you know, and, and understanding that tension. And I think there's all kinds of value to that. Um, that, that, uh, again, I think this unitive component, leaning into it is a positive thing, is a, is a good thing for our students to recognize. You don't just exist on your own. Um, when you're confirmed, it's the bishop who comes in and does it because you belong to a greater church. I think that unitive component is great. I just, in, in the modern ACNA, I just think it's so challenging to figure out what that looks like without just sort of, again, without just asserting at them, feel yeah. more... United, united to other Anglicans. Yeah. You should yeah. feel and like shaming right. them for not having the emotions they should have towards the right. bishop. Right. So the the question I find coming to my mind at this point then is, do is there is there a formative aspect to it as well? Because I think so much, especially with middle schoolers, mm -hmm. uh, but I think high schoolers too. Uh, there's a sense of trying to figure out where you fit. Where do I belong? Yeah. Uh, what am I a part of? Are there you know. And so, like, yeah, I want the kids to feel like they belong in the youth group. I want them to feel like they belong in the in the local parish. Yeah. But I would also love for them to realize that belonging in our parish also means you belong to this diocese. That yeah. you 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 belong to this bishop. That you belong to this province. That you belong to this worldwide communion. Um, and. and to me, that there's there's something that's formative in that, because what I want my students to realize is that they're not in this alone. That yeah. they're, they're like when they go off to college, right? Presumably they go off somewhere far away. Uh, they go off to college and they they don't think, well, that's what everyone back there at home thought. But now that I'm out here in the real world, everyone thinks, you know, you should have sex with whoever you love, and you right. know, as long as everybody's okay with it, then it's fine. You know. Uh, it's like, to me, there's a formative aspect to that of, oh, no, like, this is something that, this is, we're, we're a part of something bigger yeah. that's going on here. I think, to me, there's something formational for our students there. Yeah. And um, to me, that's why we have things like a provincial youth gathering. That's why we, you know, just getting getting connected with other Anglicans, getting our students connected with other Anglicans from our diocese, from our province. Uh, to me, there's a formational aspect to it. Yeah. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I, I, I think that's good. I think there's always the potential pitfall of going too far and becoming tribalist and sort of saying like, you know, they, they go to some college where there's no Anglican churches around, and they're like, well, I can't go to church anymore because I only, I'm an Anglican. Um, I mean, mm -hmm. it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if all of our students just, like, read morning prayer once a week and, like... Right. Had, I mean, again, invite I... Big, the, invite their roommate and all the other guys on their floor. Yeah. Uh, um, guys and gals on their floor. Yeah. So, I mean, th there's that aspect. But, yeah, I think there is... 
and again, it's it's this doubling down on like there's a reason you're in an Anglican church. Um, I, I I was literally just writing down to myself like I need to teach a lesson to my students on what is Anglicanism. Um, we did a, a a survey just sort of to see kind of take the temperature of our students. Do they feel welcome at youth group? Do they feel like they can talk to an adult? You know, do they read their Bible regularly? It was all anonymous. Um, and over half felt like they could explain Christianity to someone who mm. didn't know anything about it, but like less than half felt like they could explain Anglicanism to someone who didn't know yeah. anything about it. And <laughs> I was talking with uh, the, the other youth worker um, and we were saying like, I mean, that's fair because sometimes I don't know how to explain Anglicanism yeah, right, to someone right. who doesn't know anything about it. But, you know, I think it's really valuable for them to understand why we do church in this unique way and that part of why we do it is not just that we're a bunch of independent churches that sort of love the prayer book and so this is our chosen liturgy it's that like we have the liturgy we have because the diocese tells us this is the liturgy for the diocese and we Mm -hmm. use this prayer book because it's because all of them are sort of on the form of this prayer book from 1662 and Mm -hmm. um and even i think there's some value in some anglican history um like Alan Jacobs's book on the Book of Common Prayer that he uh, published through Princeton, Princeton University Press. Um, it's just called the Book of Common Prayer. It's by Alan Jacobs. It's terrific. Okay. Um, hmm. It's part of a biographies of great books series. Okay. And he, um, I mean, he's just talking about the prayer book, but in some ways it's just a history lesson of Anglicanism because the prayer book okay. is a product of historical right. tensions and, and why the Presbyterians wanted this and the Catholics wanted that and how it all came, you know, shook out. But I think all of that is valuable as understanding this is a, you're stepping into a stream, into an ongoing river. You're stepping into the Anglican tradition, which is more than just a preference. It's actually this historical, you know, this historical church that's been doing this stuff for centuries. And right. and you're inheriting this tradition. It's why I like having the, the bishop do confirmation. And hopefully then in a sense, um, even in our fragmented Anglican world you can still feel like okay i belong to this greater tradition and so when i find another anglican church i know we're in the same tradition we're in the same big big stream moving in this direction um you know it's part of a larger thing called christianity but there's a value of being connected to these other anglicans because we're all doing church in this kind of way um yeah and i think that Again, I think this is all valuable, and it's just so hard for me to think about how to do it, other than to teach students about it, maybe introduce them to other, if there are other Anglican churches in the area, maybe even from different dioceses, maybe you can go visit those churches just to say, here's how other Anglicans worship, let's talk about what we have in common with them. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, back to the, back to the Episcopate, I I think... um, interacting with other churches in your diocese can only be a good thing right. for students. Right. Um, it's hard to do, um, and I feel like it has to be done in a way that is exciting for them, not like eat your vegetables, but is actually <laughs> enjoyable for them. Um, yeah, but I, 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 and I'm partly thinking about this because so many of my students are, are, are coming of age and therefore are going to need confirmation. Yeah. And I, I, I would love for it to be meaningful for them that the, this dude that they don't have any idea with, that they have no real relationship with, is going to come and lay hands on them and pray over them and anoint them with oil and, 
you know, like lead them through something that uh, is meaningful and that it will be meaningful not just because it's a meaningful service, but because this person came and prayed these prayers over me. Yeah. Um, not, not in some sort of magical fancy pants way, but, but in that sense of uh, a grace a grace infer, conferred a grace conferred um, a sacramental way is what I'm trying yeah, to say. Yeah. A, a sacramental way. Well, and I think that this ties nicely into the authority question of, I mean, as a priest, it's, there is some easy sort of personal anecdote ways that I can tell the students, like, this is, you know, this is my boss. Like, this is the guy who's in charge of me. This is the guy, yeah. you know, telling them every year at the Chrism Mass, I, I swear an oath of canonical obedience to this guy um, that I have at, at my ordination. You sign um, two copies of the oath of canonical obedience, one to go on file in the diocese and one for like you to have at home just to remind you like, hey, by the way, you know, you're not, <laughs> you don't get to play all the, you know, you're not in charge of yourself. But being able to say like, this is a thing. And so when this guy comes in, this is the guy that I answer to. You're not right. just... Like, this is a big deal. This is someone with authority. This is someone where we don't get to just do whatever we want all the time. Mm -hmm. Like, in some ways, mm -hmm. our church has to has to fall in. Um, yeah. And it ends up being, you know, you don't, the Episcopate isn't just a lesson illustration <laughs> to combat radical autonomy. But there's something about telling them, you live in a world that tells you that freedom of choice is the very greatest right. good you can have. And actually, it's not. Actually, there are some ways in which when everybody does what's right in their own eyes, you have the end of judges. Like, right. I, I, I always, I'm on the fence. I don't want to quite teach from the last few chapters of judges to my students, but I want to constantly allude to it so that if they look it up on their own, they can be like horrified at yeah. people being cut up, chopped up into 12 pieces and, and an entire tribe being wiped out and like... I want them to read it, but I also can't just teach it because I don't need my sixth graders. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> have angry parents about like. Yeah, well, the... I, it, it, there's. I, I think there's an illustration. So, in the youth, youth alpha videos, mm -hmm. they're ta they're talking about rules. They're talking a little bit about rules, and, and they're talking about this same idea that yeah. that freedom freedom without without restrictions is not really freedom. It's chaos. Yeah, and and they use the illustration of a game like a sports game so they're like pretend like you were playing a game of soccer and but there were no rules yeah and so you know uh somebody just decides you know what i'm tired of kicking the ball i'm just gonna pick it up and run with it and and then throw it into the goal and then another person decides well i i'm just gonna decide i can tackle people all i want and i'm just gonna start you know and yeah. and, and, the, and the boundaries don't matter and nothing really and it, like the whole thing it's really, really easy to see in that case that no, this just this just tends to chaos, yeah. and it, it it's not helpful or meaningful or interesting or fun or for anybody. It's just yeah. madness. Um, <laughs> I instantly think of um, that that moment in Big Lebowski when John Goodman says, "This isn't Nom. There are rules." That's what I think of instantly because <laughs> he thinks the guy crossed the line and he, he's marked as a zero. That's 
that's what I've I think seen, about. I've seen that movie once, but it was a long time ago. Uh, <laughs> I, not not enough times so that I could quote it. That's for I, sure. I can't officially endorse it from this podcast, but yeah, right. I just thought of it. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Okay. Uh, well, so the, the other thing I was thinking of, as you were talking about your submission to your bishop, yeah. um, ultimately, that is in part, and from a spiritual standpoint, that is meant to also be, be a symbolic representation of, of the way all of us submit to, to Christ. Sure. Right? And, and so, there, to me, there's an object lesson in there as well um, that— now we're beginning to see ways that we could actually teach this, uh, but teach it in a way that's not just this dry, you know, sit down kids and I'm going to lecture at you for however long. Yeah. Um, but, but it becomes, do you see the way I've done this? You know, when Jesus tells us, you know, if you would be my disciple, you must, you know, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Yeah. Uh, in, in some ways, this, this is a symbolic representation of that. Um, and, to me, there's there's a helpful it's a helpful idea that hey, I'm not asking you to do something. I'm not lording something over you. As Jesus doesn't lord, he does he is the Lord, but he doesn't right. in the in the way that colloquialism has come to mean. He doesn't lord himself over us in that way. Right. Um, there's some of those subtleties. I think that, again, th- these are all really important things. I think for our students to understand. Um, and it, there's better ways to really get at it, I think, than just to try to sit them down and talk at them for a while and yeah. fill their brains with something that they're just going to glaze over and forget, you know, after two dribbles of the basketball when youth group's over. Yeah. Uh, we so, have anyway. Pr- play some sort of game where they get to be bishop for the day and make edicts. You got to think of a youth group game that is sort of interactive yes. episcopacy. Yes. And they can they can like write bulls and things like that and whatever that that kind of stuff. That's means. right. Um, awesome. Well, I don't feel like I have any better answers about this. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's certainly something that's interesting to think about, and uh, it's something I'm going to continue to try to bring into my youth group um, because I just I think it's important for our students to understand this in some way. Um, yeah. But I think I think actually this is a good place to kind of wrap up um, this subject. And so um, thank you, Andrew, for for your thoughts on that. Um, I'm going to end this with a a collect from the ACNA um, collects for Ember Days. Great. Almighty God, the giver of all good gifts, in your divine providence, you have appointed various orders in your church. Give your grace, we humbly pray, to all who are called to any office and ministry for your people. And so fill them with the truth of your doctrine and clothe them with the holiness of life that they may faithfully serve before you to the glory of your great name and for the benefit of your holy church. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Grace and peace, friends.